What is up, Metal Maniacs? You've got George. You've got Tom. And you've, you've got, got another podcast, podcast coming. coming. Yeah! Back, Woo! back in person at last. Yeah, it's nice to actually get in sync on that. Yeah, that felt good. <laughs> yeah, buddy. And what are you drinking right now? George, you tell me, bro. You provide the beers. Cheers. All right. I picked up a four-pack of the Harpoon Brewery collaboration Ooh. with Dunkin' Donuts. And... <sighs> I'm sure everyone's heard of Dunkin' Donuts, mm. but if you live somewhere where this doesn't exist, that is a coffee and donut chain, huge, huge in the U.S. and really like gaining worldwide. But Harpoon Brewery, I believe that's up in Massachusetts, and this is a limited time collaboration, and they have a variety pack all infused with Dunkin' Coffee. So this one is Dunkin' pumpkin and this is supposed to be uh probably more of a pumpkin ale with notes of coffee in it that's what's amazing to me is that i just took my first sip and you can taste some really really good blend in here there's just the right it's got a very pumpkin-y taste and then that coffee aftertaste hits you and it's like a nice little treat at the end of it what a what an achievement in beer Oh, yeah. If I see this again, I am buying it again. Now, this is kind of like a trend for us. Is like kind of like Carvel had a beer. We didn't try that on the show. Didn't Hasn't Duncan done beer before this? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, fucking A, man. I'm, I'm a big fan. Coffee is great. Beer is great. Pumpkin is great. Beer-flavored pumpkin coffee is really great. Right? Hey, listen. I'm enjoying this a lot. Uh, same. Okay, so we are finally ready to give you our recap of the Judas Priest concert we personally attended in Newark, New Jersey on March 30th. So, Tom, I feel real excited to talk to the listeners and to talk to you about this because this concert was pretty damn good, if I might say so. I'm thrilled, and we just rewatched it because some absolute mad lad fucking god recorded the entire concert in astoundingly good quality and put it on youtube so we got to actually re-watch it just before we did this and it just brought all the memories of that show flooding back into my head the feeling of exhilaration and anticipation and just all out Balls to the wall, heavy metal assault. It was definitely a top five for me. Dare I say, top three. I would not disagree with you there. And folks, if you search up Judas Priest Newark and you want to watch that same YouTube video of the concert we were at, you should be able to find it pretty easily. There's a couple, but there's one in particular with a really good sound and video quality. So check that out if you're interested. But we're going to give you a recap and the full details here. And if you're someone who lives in Europe and you're waiting to see the 50 Heavy Metal Years tour in person and you don't want any details spoiled, well, you might want to tune out for this episode and come back to it. Because we will be discussing the stage sets, the set list, and basically the whole deal. Mm. So to start off the night, we went to a real nice pizzeria in Newark. 
And we actually bumped into another podcaster who we were friendly with. Our good friend Deacon. Yeah, runs the Deacon & Co. show. Give him a nice little plug there. The Deacon & Co. show, which is primarily focused on Metallica and sports. But he and I are friendly. I've been on his show. And Tom has an episode in the works as well. And it was actually just really cool to meet someone in person who I'd known from online and find out what, that, wow, he's as genuinely nice and as chill and laid back in person as he comes across online. Uh, it was a great time having some drinks and some pizza with them. Uh, hope to meet Deacon and his lovely wife, Nay, again sometime soon. Oh, yeah. Nay was a total sweetheart, too. We should mention that. Oh, yeah. They were both great. Yeah. Yep. So shout out to you, Deacon. Uh, he was at the same show. And I think he gave a review on his cast, too. So check them out. The most amazing part about the stage set for me was the gigantic LED Judas cross that they had suspended over the stage, not on the stage, above the stage. Yeah, looked like it was coming down from the ceiling, mm. and it's the Judas Priest symbol that you see on all their album covers from Sad Wings to Painkiller. And now it's become the T in their logo in their recent years. It looks like it's coming down from the ceiling. It's suspended and it's lit up all red. And that happens right at the beginning of the set as they're coming on stage with Battle Hymn playing in the background. So let's go through this song by song because... We did start with Battle Him and went straight into One Shot at Glory, which was a inspired decision as an opener. Closing track of Painkiller, opening track on the 50 Heavy Metal Years Tour, and somehow just so perfect for the beginning of this show. And just kind of, pun intended, set the stage for the rest of the evening. Just one banger after another after another absolutely dude now we have talked quite a bit about one shot glory covered that last year when we first found out the news that priest had debuted this song live for the first time and we said wow what an exciting treat uh really happy that even though the tour was put on hold They've kept this as the opener when now that they're back on the road because it really shows that Priest is a band who's willing to take some risks and celebrate their history by opening up this celebratory tour with something that was brand new to the set list. It's a treat for the fans, and this is a song I've loved. I've loved One Shot at Glory for a long time, and I'm thrilled that it's getting a nice performance The song still sounds great today. Yeah, you know, I'm sure, you know, our listeners and also you will remember that I wasn't always crazy about this song. I didn't really think much of it. You really changed my opinion on that. And about a month after we recorded that episode, 
I decided, all right, let's give this song the attention it deserves. And who boy, I was not disappointed. No, like I've done a complete 180 on Battle Hymn. I'm sorry, on One Shot at Glory. To the point where I knew all the words to that song when they played it live. And I was just belting them while they played it. Yeah. And I feel like when people talk about the Painkiller album, the songs they talk about the most are Painkiller, of course, A Touch of Evil, Nightcrawler. And I think people should be recognizing One Shot at Glory more. And because it's at the end of the album, people don't always get all the way to the end. But if you don't love this song, or if you don't know it, give it another chance. Because it's something a little different. It's more upbeat and positive than a lot of other Priest songs, especially on the album Painkiller. But anyway, yeah, loved hearing it live. And it is a song that I truly do enjoy going back to as well. It's a song that balances a lot of different emotions very effectively. It's a little somber. It's a little triumphant. It's empowering. But it's also like got this sort of air of like the stakes are very high right now. And, you know, hearing it live now played through the masterful fingers of Andy Sneap and Richie Faulkner, you know, we really had an amazing time just taking that in and immersing ourselves in like, oh, okay, so we're we're starting off strong, just like a baseball bat to the face. And then the rest of the concert was just upping the ante at every single point. Couldn't agree more, my man. Mm-hmm. So right after One Shot at Glory, they hit us with a very solid second song. And the second song is a bit of an under the radar, really important part of your set list. Because you have to pick something that will carry over the energy of your opening track. So they picked Lightning Strikes from Firepower. And we actually kind of talked about this on our Lightning Strikes episode last year. It has a nice, comfortable place as the number two spot. It's number two on Firepower, the album, and it's number two in the set list here. And it does preserve that energy because this is a song that has a nice 
pacing to it and some really cool lyrics. And I know you're a fan of this one as well, Tom. Absolutely. So Lightning Strike, great choice. Mm -hmm. Sadly, the only song off of Firepower that they played that night. But the only song post-1990. Yeah, there was nothing after Painkiller on this, Uh which is kind of cool. I mean, like you get all the classics. It's definitely the show that I wanted. But I feel like anyone who was coming for anything past Painkiller was going to be sorely disappointed. Not that there would be many people falling into yeah, that there's, category. Yeah, there's not a ton of people who are like, oh man, I can't wait to hear all the songs off Angel of Retribution. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Uh, well, there are people, don't well, I, love it. I love it, but yeah. you're right. Great, I great mean, we albums. Want, we want painkillers. Yeah, man. Like, no one's really pining for those songs mm-hmm. right now. And I was fine that they played mostly painkiller on this mostly painkiller tour. Yes, sir. And in that sense, Lightning Strike fits in quite well. Yeah. Because Firepower continues a lot of the dark and heavy themes of painkiller. So to go from one shot at glory into Lightning Strikes, it feels so natural. Yeah. And... Honestly, I was thrilled to hear Lightning Strike. You know, it's one of our favorite songs off of Firepower, and we've talked about it before. And it did bring, like, a really great energy to the set list. I enjoyed it. Yep. But I've never had that much to say about this song, other than it's just a fucking great song. Hey, listen, it's great in a lot of ways, and we've talked about it already, so let's not beat a dead horse, Mm. because they kept the energy high with song number three in the set. Mm. You've got another thing coming, and I was a little surprised to hear it so early, because that's normally an encore song, Mm. or often even a closer. But in the number three spot, I really enjoyed that personally, because... Even though it's a song they have to play every time, they can still subvert your expectations a little bit just by switching it around on you. And, hey, we're going to do this one at the beginning now. Yeah, well, this is something that we were kind of talking about earlier in the night was that, you know, we all know the reason why you play your hit songs last. It's so that the audience will stay for your set. You know, I remember reading stories about how Radiohead would play Creep live And then like half the audience would just dip, which is fucking stupid, man. Like who's going to a concert to hear one song? Like you really don't want to hear anything else. You're that fickle. Seriously. Like 
you just dropped a hundred dollars for tickets and now you're not gonna stay for the concert you paid for kind of crazy but yeah. anyway anyway point is though is that priest is well past that phase no one's coming out to hear like a single priest song you're here to see fucking priest man and so the fact that they can just come in at the beginning of their set list with one of their biggest hits is so cool because no no one's like dipping after this song. It's like, oh, great. What else you got? Absolutely. Tom, did you manage to get a video or a picture for your dad? Of I this song? did. Yes, I did manage to catch some video of it for my dad and I sent that to him. Oh, nice. Yeah. It's good stuff, dude. Yeah, man. Whenever I see Priest Live, I make a point to uh, make sure that I get some footage of that song to show him. Free Wheel Burning was number four, and that's continuing with that fast-paced set list. And now, Free Wheel Burning is off Defenders, correct? That's right. That's okay. the opening track. Gotcha. And it shows I, how much I know. <laughs> this is another song that I have a big love for. That's yeah. one of my personal favorites. It's fast. It's heavy. It's really fast. One of the faster, just rocking tunes in the Priest catalog. I absolutely adored hearing it live. You know, people probably know I'm not the biggest fan of Defenders of the Faith, but hearing Free Wheel live was definitely something else, especially just hearing those opening notes. Yeah, this song is definitely a banger. It's on the set list for a reason. Just the beginning of this First four songs are definitely like the sort of like energetic, like you're jumping up and down, you're throwing your fist, you're singing around. You're having a lot, a lot of fun with the beginning of this set list. And as they go on, we get to go a little bit into the past. And then like the songs start getting a little darker, a little heavier, a little more serious. This was a very, very dynamic set. And, and very I, well composed, if yeah, I might say. Yeah, and they played spot on the entire night. Free Wheel was no exception.
isn't it incredible how Rob sings the vocals so fast with the whole look before you leave the way you keep blah 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 blah. Yeah, and seventy years old, and he's just absolutely nailing it on stage. They did. Here comes Ashley. We have for a, very, a guest spot. We have a very special guest on this episode of the podcast, listeners. You've probably heard me talk about her before, but my wife Ashley was also at the show and they played her absolute favorite song. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so. Which one? Uh, my favorite song by Judas Priest's Turbo Lover. Yeah. Yeah. Love that song. It was one of the first songs I've ever heard from them, and it stuck with me. That's a party song, man. It's such a party song. When we were watching that video just a few short minutes ago, man, it's all dark and it's lit up in that concert hall. And when Turbo came on, it was like, man, I want to jam. Yeah, yeah. It definitely lifted the whole audience, I thought. Yeah. Like, I feel like there was a collective oh my God moment when like the opening of that song started Mm -hmm. and it was our first concert since early 2020, January 20 or February, 2020 where we went and saw Vader. Mm -hmm. So this was our first concert since the pandemic. So it's been like a really long time Mm -hmm. since we've been in such a high energy environment. And Mm -hmm. let me tell you, Jesus Priest was like, the way to go for that. Yeah. The fact that I got to hear my favorite song was like immaculate. So yeah. it was your first time seeing Judas Priest. Yes. Do you think that the quality of their performance was up to par for you? Up to par. My God. They blew my expectations away. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, I guess most people would assume a classic rock band would always perform on point. They're above that. I mean, the fact that. Rob Halford is in his, what, 70s now? Mm-hmm. I, I don't know his exact age, but... Oh, yeah. He's definitely hit 70, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think so. It's amazing to me, the energy and the articulation of their musical capabilities mm. was still heard perfectly mm. through their years of playing. They didn't stop. No. They did not stop. They did not let me down. Mm-hmm. They were not disappointing whatsoever. Not that I would ever Amazing. expect that. Yeah. No, they were great. And I literally think of Halford almost every day when I'm at work. His high energy and the fact that he gets up on stage and he works. And he still had that like peak performance level after so many years of touring and making music and ups and downs. I hope I'm half the man (laughs) when I am nearly that age. He's amazing. I'm grinning ear to ear listening to you say that because I just feel, I feel very similar. I admire the guy like you do. Yeah. Yeah. He's amazing. He really is. He's an inspiration like to anyone who who comes across him. Oh yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And just kind of thinking about him every day, Or at least, like, in my daily mantras, you know, when I go through, how am I going to get ready for the day? How am I going to hype myself up? Concerts play big into that for me. They're, like, a driving force for me. So that being my first concert since early 2020, Mm -hmm. it meant a lot to me. And 
they played my favorite song. So yeah, yeah I, <laughs> that's I just, awesome. I yeah, just remember like when the time. when that song opened, I just looked at you and I was like. Oh yeah, yeah, we had a moment. We were no. like, "Oh my god, yeah!" yeah. yeah. And amazing. I and yeah. I saw you guys, and I'm like, "Oh, I'm so happy!" <laughs> song. I was thrilled. Everyone had that collective like reaching over the shoulder, like shoving each other, like, "Oh my god, you hear that?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, because mm-hmm. we always, you know, especially because the podcast, you guys always ask me, "Oh, which song do you like?" Or like, mm-hmm. "What's one of your favorite songs?" And I'm, of course, I always land on Turbo Lover, just because it was like one of the first songs I heard, and then watching it. Forget about it. That song, Turbo Lover, has transcended. It's a stone cold classic. Yeah. Yeah. And we were talking about this on the last episode, too, is that it's a classic among an album of duds. Like, the rest of that album is not very good. Right. I remember, I remember like hearing Turbo Lover and think for the one of the first times. And, uh, and I was like, wow, let me go to that album. Let me listen to the whole album. I'm, I'm big on, if I like one song, I have to start at the beginning. I like to go through all of the songs. I'm a big from first to last, mm-hmm. you know, listen to your first song, get down to your last song. Mm-hmm. The album, you know, is made to be listened all the way through. And I just wasn't not loving that album, but mm-hmm. Turbo Lover stuck with me. And mm-hmm. um, recently you played a couple um, CDs in the car on mm-hmm. our way on our long drives. Mm-hmm. And, we were listening to one album and it was just like hit after hit after hit. I don't remember the I'm name. I'm pretty sure it was Screaming for Vengeance. Yeah, 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 that was it. Yeah. When you say an album with hit after hit after hit. Yeah. I'm thinking a few different ones. <laughs> a lot of, yeah, no, there's a lot. But but he knows what I'm yeah, talking about. Yeah, he knows. Because there's a recent, like, you know, uh, long drive. Oh, what about um, another beer soon? Oh, how about it? <laughs> it's beer o'clock. It's beer o'clock already? <laughs> Damn, I love it. Beer me gusto. <laughs> Yeah, no, so, I, I mean, just of. not only watching Judas Priest live, but then also hearing my favorite song by them, it was really awesome. Yeah. Very cool. 
I was really glad we got to share that experience. Me too. It was a great experience for Me all too. of us. It yeah. was. I just love reminiscing about this. You know, Me this, too. It was this, a fantastic performance. I agree. And somebody put it all up on YouTube, right? Yeah. Like you, you saw all of it on yep. YouTube. Yeah. That's yeah. even crazier to me. I don't know how they got the whole thing on YouTube. And with a shockingly steady hand. That's even better. Yeah. It's awesome. So now we can just continue reliving that concert whenever I'm we feel like that. it. I am fine with that. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, we are, we're so not even, that. we are not even halfway through this set list. We've got so much to talk about. Oh, it was, it was quite a hefty show. So yeah. Two hours almost. Damn. Yep. So on to the next song was I was not expecting this, but I was absolutely thrilled when they started playing Hell Patrol. Yeah, and I think you made a note of how it was such a quality transition from Turbo Lover into Hell Patrol. Yeah, and it was effortless. And bear in mind, Hell Patrol it's an opening that's very pounding. Like right off the bat, and to be able to transition into that gracefully, I feel like that might not be so easy. So props to them. Yeah, it's like a jarring sort of juxtaposition between like the sort of like almost sensual tones of Turbo Lover. That's right. It's very pounding, really pounding. Agreed. Agreed. Just what a testament to it, man, and. This version of Hell Patrol was absolutely fantastic. You know, we've noted before Hell Patrol was not played live for, what, more than a decade, right? I believe it made its debut in 2008. So, yeah, that's a while after Painkiller first came out. Yeah, dude. Like, shocking amount of time, too. Hell Patrol's a banger. Yeah, Hell Patrol was nice to see live. And it's to the song's credit that... They debuted it a while after the album came out, but they've played it on several tours since. So I think they recognize that it's hitting the crowd well. It's a nice crowd anthem It's a, because it's all about the brotherhood and kinship of metal. Yeah, and of priests specifically, too, I think. Probably more so than like... This is kind of an interesting idea in metal. Like, there are some bands there, they have like... Like, they have a name for their fan base, sort of. Like, Children of Bodom had The Hate Crew, which is a terrible name. But, <laughs> yeah. yeah. It, it, it's really... Oh, boy. That would not even fly today. No, not at all. That was cool in, like, the early aughts. And, like, that was badass. And now it's like, oh, God, really? And then, you know, of course, there's, like, Juggalos, I guess. <laughs> but for Priest, they have the Hell Patrol. At least... I like to think of the Priest fan base as the Hell Patrol. Oh, yeah. And this is a song for the fans, mm. by and large. This is another song that we covered last year. Maybe you've noticed a theme with that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And I think this is where we should talk about this. Rob's vocal technique is better than it's been in decades. He was absolutely killing it. And that's nowhere more apparent, I think, at least in the first half of this set, than in the scream on Hell Patrol at the end when he says, ripping out hearts. He's just, it was piercing in the most incredible way. When he screams ripping out hearts, I really felt like he was ripping off my fucking face. Yeah. 
holy shit, dude. I mean, just listen to that. He has refined his technique in his older age to the point where he's delivering better performances than people who were far younger than he is. Yeah, this is my fourth time seeing Judas Priest, and I think it's pretty safe to say this could have been the best out of those four performances. Damn, that's fucking wild. And you saw them, you know, you were in high school the first time, right? Yeah, it was 05, then 08, then 2018, and now again in 2022. And this is a band that has not gotten lazy, dude. Just delivering the goods. Yeah. <laughs> now. Now, this is a good set list, man. We've gotten mostly heavy songs so far. Continuing on through the Sentinel, you know, solid performance. I don't know if Rob went as hard on this song as I would have liked, but hey, the Sentinel is a really tough song and the album version is impeccable. So, yeah, I got to cut him a little slack there. Mm. And, uh, you know, I'm always happy to hear the Sentinel. Sentinels is another um, Defenders track, correct? Yeah. Yeah. God, dude, I got to listen to that album because I don't know what it is. I just I don't have the strongest opinion about its songs. The way don't get me wrong, the Sentinel sounded amazing. Every single song on this set sounded amazing. Mm-hmm. The Sentinel and Freewheel Burning are definitely bangers. Oh, for sure. But you know what? The longer we do this show and we start talking about some more tracks, I think you'll find yourself come around on them. I mean, I'm or sure. maybe you won't, and then we'll have some dissenting opinions, and that's fun too. Yeah, exactly. Wait! 
<laughs> anyway, George, I do believe it's time to crack open another. I do believe you are correct. Indubitably, good mm, sir. Mm. Unequivocally. My lord, this beer is unequivocally fucking busting. Takes another drink or two. And it's dark as fuck. It's, dude, this is like a syrup. Holy shit. This is the midnight brew. I decided to add the purple can. That was the one I wanted to go with. And I'm wearing a purple shirt, so yeah, that very works apt. for me. And my wife's favorite color is purple. I fucking love purple. Purple's great, man. Mm. Yo, does this beer this, have caffeine in it? This beer even smells like purple. Ooh, very nice. Does this have caffeine into it? I wonder if anyone's going to catch that I said it smells like purple. Dude, you got to throw a clip from your dreamer to see it in there. Just because of that, like, just deep into the purple. Just throw that in there, please. You follow the dream. Yep, we followed the dreamer through the purple hazy clouds. Well then. Mm-hmm. Okay, then I'll do that. Yeah, I thought that's what you were going through for. Through the purple hazy clouds. Beautiful. Anyway, so, where we live off? Thank you, sir. You are very, you are most generous with your brews. This beer is nice and dark. Mm. It is the Duncan Midnight Blend. Yup, we're still on that yep. harpoon variety pack. And this is an American porter brewed with Dunkin' coffee. Mm. Obviously a dark roast of their coffee. And what do you think, Tom? Now, here's a fun fact, actually. Dunkin's Midnight Brew is my favorite coffee from that lo- from that store. Mm. So I actually have a Dunkin' Donuts right across the street from where I live. So usually I'll stop there in the mornings on my way to work. Get their midnight coffee with cream and two sugar. Dude, it's it's good, man. It's a great all-around rich flavor. Very rich. And the beer is rich, too. This is very heavy on the texture. You can tell right from the second you pour it that it's not on the lighter side. This is a very heavy stout of a beer. It's a smoky kind of flavor palette. It, yes, it is. It's got a very light smokiness to it. Kind of reminds me of like like a really smoky bourbon almost. Yeah, I taste a little bit of that in there. It's good though. Mm. All right. Now that we've topped up our drinks, we can tell you about the next song in the set. Number eight, A Touch of Evil. Ooh. And A Touch of Evil wasn't the song that I thought was going to be one of the highlights when I came in. Mm. But they managed to really blow me away by just... Mm how stellar they were pulling it off. And Rob does a very impassionate vocal performance. Mm. This song, more so than the other songs on Painkiller, feels really personal. You know, there's something, I I don't know, man. I just have this distinct feeling like there was like a real life incident or maybe even multiple incidents that inspired this song. This song more so definitely feels like it's coming from... um, a place of personal pain, of, I would think. Of personal sincerity, I think. Mm-hmm. Pain is also, definitely, there's a lot to unpack with this song, and it's going to get its own episode eventually. But Oh, yeah. Well, every song does, but yeah. that one will be a really strong episode. I can't wait to do that episode, because that's one of my favorite tracks on Painkiller. And um, I say that about every track on Painkiller. Because they're all yeah, good. They're all fucking great. Like, what do you want me to do? 
But even still, all these years later, I just feel like this song in particular holds a very special place for him. His version, like his rendition in the modern age sent a chill up my spine. Like I had goosebumps, dude. Like I've never really been to a concert where I have been full, straight up blown away. Like sitting there like kind of laughing in a sense of how fucking good this performance was. Yeah, it's almost a shock to the senses. Yes. And I love, love that Rockarola is back in the set list. Oh, God, let's talk about Rockarola. Rockarola, song number nine. Mm. And they took us all the way back to the first album mm. and delivered a really inspired reworking of the song, much heavier with some additional guitar solos. And it sounds fresh with the sound of Judas Priest as they are on stage now. You know what's kind of funny is that Rockarola almost gives me some disco vibes when I hear it. It's like a dark, heavy disco song in a sense. And I don't know if that makes sense, but I'm that's the analogy I'm going with here, is that it really does have some disco vibes about it. Considering the era it was written, it's really not surprising. Yeah, you're not far off at all. And honestly, I think that it's night and day when you compare the version of Rockarola they play now to the original. But of course, it is fun to go back to the original just because mm. that song's charming. You could, yes. you could see the seeds that they were planting of what they would soon grow into. Absolutely. It's, if nothing else, it's just fun as a thing that exists. Is like they're playing Rockarola in 2022. That's and wild. Yeah, and we got to see it. We did, man. Never thought I'd see Rock and Roll alive, but I'll be damned if I didn't. And it was incredible. When Rob first proposed putting that in the set list, Glenn told him, that's definitely not going to work. <laughs> and I'm sure he's happy to have been turned around on that one. Yeah, really, dude. Glenn Tipton wrote that song when he was like 20 years old. Or some shit. Imagine that. Seriously. Like, dude, I wouldn't play songs live that I wrote 10 years ago. (laughs) (laughs) So for him, he must have been like, dude, I don't know about this. I just got a feeling. And then Rob was like, bro, trust me. And it, they made it happen, and they made it work quite well. It's the power of priests, dude. They can fuck, they can make anything good. They really can. And I would love to see them give this treatment to any song off that album or any of the three subsequent albums. Yeah, I think that would be great. Yeah. 
I'm not saying it's going to happen, but it would be pretty cool if they played Starbreaker. They played it on Richie's first tour, the Epitaph tour. So it wasn't so long ago that you would have gotten a chance to hear it. So you know what? It can happen. It could. That's that's a song that they clearly know how to play and they like. And I hope they do. Now, they had some really great sequencing because they went from Rockerola from their first album right into Victim of Changes, the opening track from their second album. And I really liked that, you know, sort of moving forward in time. And Victim of Changes was another highlight for me. I thought the emotions were absolutely visceral. It was incredible. And I felt just insane amounts of energy and emotion pumping from off the stage and this is a song that's really tough vocally Mm. and rob surpassed all the expectations i had for him let's give a shout out real quick to sad wings just what an incredible album and it's rob's favorite for a reason second outing sea priest really coming into their own as a band sort of identifying the direction they want to go in and now when they play it in the modern era you just get this feeling like okay this is what priest is this is priest summed up i think victim of changes is sort of like a perfect encapsulation of everything that judas priest should be it's got a powerful energizing riff and just the most incredible guitar work and vocal work by Robin Company. Yeah, and I thought that putting Glenn Tipton up on the video screen mm. during the solo was a nice, loving tribute <sighs> to him. It was lovely. It was really nice to see them do things like that. The crowd like, popped it, for that one, too. Yeah, man, because Tipton, let's be real, Priest does not exist without Glenn Tipton. Like, the man was so integral and essential to their development as a metal band. His contributions cannot possibly be understated. Well said, Tom.
And we're about halfway done with this set, man. This was a good one. So number mm. 11, Desert Plains. Never got to hear that one live until now. So fourth time seeing Priest, and I'm still hearing songs that I haven't seen yet or that I haven't seen them play yet. Pretty cool. Now, that's what kind of caught you by surprise when they played this. Yeah, Point of Entry gets pretty forgotten. Sadly. But they only play a couple songs from it live, but this is one of them. And you know what? It's been a while since they played it, so mm. I was happy here. I've always enjoyed Desert Plains. Mm. Yeah, yeah, man, just another solid. I don't have too much commentary on it, honestly, but definitely a great way to pad the set. You know, mm. there was nothing in this that was like filler, so to speak. Every song yeah. was really, really good. Desert Plains was one of them. Yep, I have to agree. Uh, nothing particularly outstanding about that one, but I know that you have more to say on the next track. I think we both do. Blood Red Skies. So Blood Red Skies was beautiful for a number of reasons, and one of them being was the incredible theatrics that went into it. So on stage, they had these big billowing smokestacks rise up from the stage, and the entire stage was bathed in this beautiful red light. And one thing that struck me about Blood Red Skies is that the opening, to me, sounds almost identical to the Hellion. And I don't think that's a bad thing at all because that riff works well, whether you're playing it soft and acoustically or if you are just hammering it home in an epic introduction. Now that you pointed that out, I'm never not going to notice it. But yeah, a few little notes at the beginning of Blood Red Skies. Yeah, that's the Hellion, man. That's yeah. it. And there's nothing wrong with that because the Hellion's a banger, True. as we know. Blood Red Skies, once you get into it, it's a really mm. gripping, heavy, emotional epic. Yeah, another one that feels remarkably close to home for him, I think. Yeah, I think so. It's a very fresh song. I, I like it a lot. Yeah. Great to see them bringing these songs off of Defenders and Point of Entry. And yeah, really, ram it down. Yeah, yeah. It's it's good, man. Like, this is, it's almost like a time capsule if you think about it. Yeah, I mean, you've got a little something from all the albums from Rockerola to, to Painkiller and then one from Firepower just for fun. So, yeah, you're getting the history of Priest here. Yeah. 
but they are getting towards some of the more popular songs because after Blood Red Skies, the Green Man Alishi with the two-pronged crown. Another banger off of Killing Machine or Hell Bent for Leather. So I'm deeply confused about the history of this song. The only thing I know for certain is that Judas Priest's version blows the other one out of the fucking water. Judas Priest's version does slay. And come on, that heavy riff that starts it out, the dun 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 You can't mess with that, and it comes across awesome live so authentic too like they really are great at taking these okay songs and making them into something spectacular that's what a like a really good cover should do yeah this is one of the better covers that i've heard in metal and rock like they took a song that had already had sort of an intriguing identity we'll get all into the history of the song when we have a green man alicia episode But the way that Judas Priest made it their own was really just, I think, excellent. And it's not the only cover we heard them play, because right after this, what was next? You like this one, right, Tom? Diamonds and Rust. One of my favorite tracks off of Sin After Sin. Easily, I think, the best cover they do. You know, by a substantial margin. Ooh, I love this one, dude. Yeah, this is a real fucking banger, dude. And just a great version of this song. Diamonds and Rust is beautiful. Yeah, in any version. Now, you're probably wondering what version it was, mm-hmm. listeners. It was the fast version. And I know that lately they've been doing the acoustic one live. So I was really pleasantly surprised to get the fast version. Yeah. Because uh, I like that one. Yeah, I could not have been happier because I wa- I wasn't expecting them to pull this out. Me the neither. Only, yeah, the only thing that could have been better is if they had played Dissident Aggressor, which sadly they did not. But they played so many other great songs that it really doesn't bother me all that much. Oh, you've been 
Yeah, I wish they could play them all. But Don't we all? Yeah, but they had time for one more in the main set, and Mr. Scott Travis, as he's wont to do, introduces this one, track number 15, What Do You Want to Hear? Come on, you know the answer. We want to hear Painkiller, man. This is why I thought it was funny that mad people were screaming hellbent for leather, and he was like, okay, Painkiller. Guys, you gotta know this. Come on. Yeah, man. Like, if, if Scott Travis is talking, you know what's coming, dude. But the funniest thing about this was that he thought we were in New York. We were in <laughs> Newark. And he said, What's up, New York? Like, but we heard New York is the rock capital of the world. And people were like, We're in New Jersey. He went even further. He said New York City a couple times. Yeah. Like, don't make us go to Albany. And we were like, okay. <laughs> don't. Yeah, I mean, close enough, right? I, I guess. Mean, yeah. Yeah, fuck us. We're not a real state. I <laughs> <laughs> don't worry, pal. Neither is Connecticut. <laughs> Either way, though, let's get into like the real meat of this. It was, this was Rob's best performance of Painkiller in his entire career. Oh, my God. He... Well, that's a bold claim, but he killed. And Rob often has to sing a little lower on Painkiller, you know. He has to change his pitch frequently. Yeah, and this time, he didn't. He did the whole song high. I couldn't fucking believe it. Yeah, and he was really nailing those long screams, too, and incorporating his death growls into it. His growls are incredible, by the way. Yeah, he's built up that skill, and he is just a really terrific performer. And I hope that he does continue experimenting with growling and throwing it in where it makes sense, because it's another way for him to put new variations on songs and make them heavier. And if he ever finds himself in a place where he can't reach a high note, maybe he can go the other way and turn it into a sick, brutal growl. Yeah, like there's a way to breathe life back into these songs and he's clearly figured that out. He must be really investing the time into reinventing his vocal style, into adapting it to fit... Hold on, what am I trying to say here? Adapting with the time. Yeah, exactly. But not only that, like... Just the fact that like he's put the effort into being able to hit those high notes again and going through like the whole song, just nailing it every step of the way is so impressive. Just the amount of dedication and practice that he still clearly puts in after all this time. The man just doesn't stop, man. He's a killing machine, you might say. Yeah, well, if looks could kill, this man is all looking good. Yeah, we'd all be fucking dead. Right, he's looking good. Yeah. His outfits are on point with his huge, shiny leather jacket with all those patches on it. Yeah. Including a tool patch, you notice? Yes. And George, you had a really interesting point earlier about his, the state of his beard. Yeah, and I know some people aren't crazy about the Grandpa Rob look. With his long white Santa beard. I love it. To to you, I say, bah. (laughs) Bah. I love it, too. I mean, look, the guy is 70, and for him to just go on stage with his huge white beard showing the full state of how fucking old he is 
and still kick ass. There's something I admire there, guys. I mean, come on. The dude is old as fuck, and he's better than people half his age. And I think it takes a a little bit of courage to just walk up there on stage and be yourself Mm. and still put on your best performance. I think something else you brought up, maybe if I'm remembering correctly, is like almost like earning the right in a sense where like you're coming on stage with the big white beard and saying, I've been here since the beginning and I'm here now and I've earned this through hard work and constantly pushing myself and fighting these enormous personal battles, including his identity as a gay man and very recently a probably, presumably difficult battle with cancer that he kept completely quiet up until the day he announced that he'd beaten it. So... In a sense, I think the beard is claiming a title almost. Sure. And the title is The Metal God. He is the Metal God now as he ever was, my man. Yeah, and forever will be. And in years from now, we'll have St. Halford. And he'll be the patron saint of all metalheads, so saith I. Thanks be to Halford. got a lengthy encore very impressive encore definitely the longest encore i've ever seen live a, a five song encore wow there are bands that this is like their whole set is five songs and this is an encore <laughs> for them they started out the encore with a song that's very great and well known for judas priest walking onto stage mm. the hellion and electric eye just what more can you possibly say? You can't go wrong with those. Yeah. That's a classic. Mm. And mm. what do we even have to say about the Hellion and Electric Eye? Well, you guys have heard it before. Well, funnily enough, we have a shit ton to say about these songs. But that's going to be saved for a later episode. And our good friend Jonathan from Maiden A to Z is going to be with us on that episode. And it's one that we've been planning for a long time. We've got a lot to say about it. We're going to save that for later. But all I'm going to tell you now is that the performance on Electric Eye is as good as it's ever been when you've had 
40 years to master a song and just refine it down to a mirror polish. It's just, it's an instant crowd pleaser. Like as much as any other song in their set list, like you hear electric eye and you know that they're going to bring that energy at a hundred percent. Yeah, that's a song that I don't think Rob even really has to sing that much anymore. It's got to be like muscle memory. And if not, if, like not even that. It's like just the crowd knows all the lyrics. He that's probably, what I'm saying. The crowd yeah. will sing it for him. Yeah, he, he could just sit there on stage and just like direct the crowd basically. And then let us sing it. Yeah. It's not like we're not going to. <laughs> and for the next song, he can do that while he's sitting on his motorcycle. Which he did. Yeah. <laughs> We are, of course, talking about Hellbent for Leather. Yes, sir. You can't have a Judas Priest concert without Hellbent for Leather. And you can't have a Judas Priest show without the motorcycle either. So naturally, as he does, Mr. Halford came in on the Harley with the bullwhip in his mouth. And he did a Mm. really spectacular rendition of Hellbent for Leather. So kinky. (laughs) (laughs) It's really cool because, you know, what I realized is that, you know, the throttle of the motorcycle doesn't need to go through the PA system, dude. It's just that loud. It drowns out everything else. Like, you've got, like, the crowd, and there's amps on top of it, and the motorcycle just punches through all of it, and it sounds so guttural and badass. Man, you haven't lived until you've seen Judas Priest live and just felt the vibrations from the rev of that motor. You feel it in your chest almost. Like it's kind of reminds me of like going to an air show and feeling like the throttle of a fighter jet hitting you. It's like, it it really is. It's visceral. It's like, it was amplified the whole show because the entire show, I felt like my senses were all turned up to 11. And then that happens. And like, we're at the ass end of the set and, Everyone's tired, and that just like instantly energizes you again.
Well said, my man. And if you weren't already ready to pop, well, you should have seen the pop that came from the crowd when Glenn fucking Tipton walked out. Hell yes. And we were incredibly fortunate because Glenn didn't come out for every tour date on this leg, but Mm -hmm. we got him and man, was I happy to see him. Here's to Glenn Tipton. That truly did feel like a blessing, honestly. I I was hoping for it. In the back of my head, I was almost I felt like I was hoping against hope. And I was like, hey man, it would be nice, but come on, what are the odds that Glenn Tipton's gonna come out? He's probably not even on this tour. And then he fucking came out, and me and George just looked at each other and lost our goddamn minds. Yes. Yeah. Um, and it was really great. The crowd gave him just a beautiful standing ovation, and he looked so happy. Yeah. And, you know, Glenn is looking like, you know, he's lost a lot of weight and, you know, he still looks like he's doing all right. He looks like he's doing his best, you know? Yeah. I think the rather apt Never Surrender shirt was a very fitting touch. Agreed. So I've been looking at the set list and I notice they only play Metal Gods on this tour on the nights that Glenn comes out. So I'm happy he was here because Metal Gods is one of our favorites. It's it, Dare I say, it's my favorite Priest song. You know, like kind of how I was talking about Victim of Changes, like a song that perfectly encapsulates the essence of Priest. Metal Gods is also up there. I show that song to anyone who has to hear Priest for the first time. It's my favorite song. It's the first song we talked about on this podcast. And hearing it live finally was... A, it felt like I don't even know how to describe this other than like closing a chapter on my book in life because I'd gotten to this point. It's like, oh my god, this is my favorite priest song, and I'm hearing it live, and it sounds awesome. And Glenn Tipton is on stage while it's happening. Yeah, that's like crossing something off your bucket list, basically. Yeah, and this was another highlight from the set. And it would have been such a shame if they didn't play it yeah. because this was another one where I think the band was really slaying. Oh, yeah. And Halford's engulfed in molten breath. And again, <laughs> he brings back the death growls and he really just honestly, he's got to do it more because he he's does. great at it. Yeah. I would love to see him incorporate that into whatever new material he's writing. I've got my fingers crossed for it, dude. Yeah, because his technique is so good. You can't just use that to accent songs, dude. You got to incorporate that into your song writing from here on out. Like, don't get me wrong. You know, I understand Priest is like a more traditional Mel band. I'm not expecting like tremolo picking and Scott Travis blast beating anytime soon. But come on, dude, his death growl, his technique is too good to ignore. Yeah, and I don't think he needs to write a whole song where he's singing entire no, verses no, no. and growl. But I think that if he's just doing mm. a scream or if he's adding a growl here or there, I think fans will be totally okay with that. Yeah, like having it as a tool in the arsenal. That's what I'm talking about. Uh, oh, so. 100% agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that needs to be there. I think so, my friend.
So Glenn was on stage for the last three songs, Metal Gods, Breaking the Law, and Living After Midnight. Oh my God. Living After Midnight really is just the best, the perfect closer. That's another party song. Hell yeah. And Breaking the Law is a classic, but I, again, another song that I don't have all that much to say about, like, don't get me wrong. I mean, come on, it's Breaking the Law. You guys know the song. Yeah, I've got like some social commentary to make when we actually cover this song, but when you play it live, it's like, oh, great, breaking the law. It's it's now fun. we get to sing. Yeah, it's fun. It's energizing. You know they're gonna play it. You know you're there to hear it. So you just enjoy it. It actually really bothers me that this is their most listened to song on Spotify by like an order of <laughs> magnitude. But uh, I'll save that rant for another day. Yeah, good song though. But yeah, good song. And then living better. after. Yeah, well. I guess you could say the same about Living After Midnight. But yeah, could you? Living After Midnight, that's a fun one. That's that, a party song. That is like the priest party song. Mm-hmm. You know, you just get that opening. And everyone starts chanting. Everyone starts jumping. And before you know it, that guitar comes in, the opening riff, and Rob barely has to sing. Because the whole crowd is just singing louder than the musicians are playing. At that Pretty point. much. Yeah. Oh, man. What a great night. So yeah, It was a great night, man. Like, all around just fantastic. 20 songs, too. Yeah. You know, so that's like, that's no joke. That's a pretty lengthy set. 20 full songs. Hell, man. You know, again... Just the encore alone is longer than some band's entire set. That's true. Well, if you're playing a short set. <laughs> oh, listen, I mean, I'm speaking from experience mostly, you know, because I spent a lot of time as an opening act. Right, listeners, and we've got one more special guest because someone who also came to the same Judas Priest show with us, my lovely wife, Rebecca. How you doing? 
I'm good. How are you, George? Feeling great. What are you drinking over there? A nice little sangria? Yes. Homemade? Yes. We had wine to use up and some fruit. So what better way to use them? Nice. So, Rebecca, what's your prior experience with Judas Priest? Uh, How well would you say you knew them before the concert? Well, in high school, in 10th grade, the first album I listened to was Angel of Retribution. There was this guy that I had a crush on, and (laughs) Judas Priest was one of the bands he liked. I wanted to familiarize myself with them to get to know him better. Songs that stood out for me were Angel and Wheels of Fire. Oh, yeah. I like Angel of Retribution. That was big for me in high school. Came out right at that time. Judas Rising is an awesome song. So, yeah. That's kind of interesting that you heard that first. And uh, what what else are your favorite Judas Priest songs? I haven't listened to all their albums in their entirety yet, so I guess I like the more well-known songs that were played at the concert, such as Living After Midnight, Breaking the Law, Turbo Lover, Hellbent for Leather. Believe it or not, the first time I heard Living After Midnight was actually a cover version by the band The Donnas, But both versions are great, of course, but different. Yeah, I like the Donnas. I like them. I heard some songs. I like a Take It Off, Take It Off. That's a good one. I think they actually list Priest as one of their inspirations. Oh, they have to be. Priest is a band that influenced far and wide. So, I mean, overall, what were your impressions of the concert? You know, what are your favorite memories? Well, I liked the fact that my lovely husband, George, got us floor seats. One of the few perks of getting old is that you're more likely to afford the good seats and not have to climb up one to four flights of stairs. For the concert itself, the lights and special effects were very high-quality entertainment, but not as high-quality as the performance Mr. Rob Halford and his bandmates put on. They're still pretty good considering they're in their 70s. Oh my gosh, yeah, like... And you've been listening back to the same audio clips that we've been playing and you're just hearing it and you're having all those memories come back and it's like, man, they really killed it that night. I did record a couple video snippets during the concert and, you know, of course, those are going to continue to be enjoyable every time I rewatch them. Yeah, we got lots of great pictures, too. Yes, yes, of course. Yeah, you go to a lot of concerts, so how do you think this one stacked up against your expectations? Well, this was my first time seeing Priest, so I was simply expecting just to have a great time with good people and good beer. I was surprised that Rob Halford performed as good as he did, as not all lead singers can still sing as well as they did in their younger years. His voice is rich, has range, and commands your attention— while he casually strolls back and forth across the stage. (laughs) I love his rockin' outfit changes as well. Oh, awesome. Yeah, he is a very fashionable metalhead. You know, all the leather and studs and whips. You know, that's all coming from Judas Priest. Uh, What else do you want to share with the listeners? Towards the end, he had on a long denim jacket coat with patches and studs, which looked great on him. It's actually very similar to the one displayed in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. George and I were there during our vacation in Pennsylvania and Ohio last summer. Definitely a high-quality experience for any music lover. There is a lot to see and learn. 
But most importantly, Priest will be inducted this year. Yeah! Lastly, uh, George had purchased a puzzle from the band's website, which displays the cover art of the Painkiller album. We worked on the puzzle together for a little each day over the course of a week. It was an enjoyable challenge. Yeah, I remember that. That was when we were quarantined inside for COVID, and I was buying some merch, and I saw the puzzle, and I just figured... "Eh." That might be fun to do while we're stuck at home all day, every day. And it ended up being the first of uh, quite a few puzzles. What other ones did we do? We did uh, Pink Floyd's Division Bell album cover. That one was hard. The puzzle was entirely gray. (laughs) What else? We did the Motorhead's Bomber album cover. Yes. That one was a little little less challenging. Painkiller was actually pretty hard because like the entire top half is just Straight, solid blue. The fiery magma and the crosses at the bottom, that's easy. After that, well, it'll take some time. (laughs) Yeah. Good luck. But yes, nowadays I've seen band puzzles popping up here and there. It's nice to be able to buy things besides just t-shirts, you know? Yeah, and puzzles, uh, yeah, they're nice and relaxing. Good old-fashioned entertainment that doesn't involve a battery. Now I sound old. (laughs) Yeah, well... Tom and I always make fun of how old we're getting, and we're only in our early 30s, and so our listeners give us plenty of crap for that. Well, I think anyone of any age should be able to appreciate a good jigsaw puzzle. Hey, there you go. All right. Got anything else, Rebecca? I think that's it. It was a fun concert, and thank you for bringing me to the concert with you, because for seeing Priest for the first time, there's no one with whom I'd rather go see it with. You're sweet. You know that? Thanks again for bringing me. Yes, keep defending the faith. So 20 songs from 12 albums. It was a good broad set that covered a lot of ground. And I had an awesome time. Like I said, maybe the best priest performance that I've had. And they paid a lot of tribute to their history. Also with the stage set, they had the smokestacks, the industrial factory background and setting the barrels, the warning signs. And at one point they have a giant inflatable bull, which is supposed to represent one of the landmarks in their home city of Birmingham. They also had war pigs as their pre-show music before they came on stage. They played war pigs, which if you remember correctly in 2018, it was also their pre-war song. Oh, so it seems to me like they're doing that to pay tribute mm. to the old greats 
from the industrial part of the UK that they're from. Yeah. And you know, it's really funny, man. Like if you speak to, or if you know anything about any of the British heavy metal bands, like a lot of them came from Birmingham and in reading Halford's biography, you hear a lot about the steel mills because this was during, you know, sort of a post industrialization era in Britain and the steel mills were very much still alive and active. And Rob recalls in his biography, like basically having to run past the steel mill just to get away from the the smoke and the smog and it getting his eyes and his lungs and on his skin. And Kids, if you're listening to this, we didn't have COVID masks all over the place available at your nearest dollar store yeah. back in the time Rob Halford was growing <laughs> up. And if you remember correctly, George, they also didn't have you and me back then. So No, they didn't. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it is interesting to think about, especially including those smokestacks as stage props, as sort of like an homage to like, hey, part of this, this sort of cultural landscape that we came from is part of what gave birth to priest is part of what gave birth to metal it's not just a clever name it's an homage to a time and a place and an experience yes when the atmosphere in the air was dour and shall we say heavy yeah man and literally metal is inside rob halford and richie faulkner yeah all of them man like Oh, God, dude. Can we just talk about Richie Faulkner's guitar playing for a second? I think so. Yeah, man. Like, you know, Jonathan brought this up in our Dissian Aggressor episode. Is just Richie has this comfort and control with his instrument to the point where it really is an extension of his body. He is so clean and so precise and so fucking fast. Yes. Yeah, that guy is I don't even know how to like compliment him any higher than I already have. It's like, dude, you're a like supernaturally gifted guitar player. Yes, and he is. Enormously skillful. Yeah, and you've played guitar for a long time, so you would be in a good position to give a, him a compliment on that, man. Oh. Dude, I could practice every single day for a hundred years and never be as good as him. Wow. Yeah. Like that guy is just, his place in Priest is well-deserved is what I'm saying. Yeah. And we've talked about that many times and he's still killing it on this tour. Andy Sneap is killing it and he's getting more solos. He's doing quite a nice job. I haven't heard him make any mistakes. So to anyone who thinks that this version of Priest is any lesser because they don't have a few of the original members, well, I don't care. Yeah. They're killing it, guys. Your opinion sucks, and I don't respect you. So. <laughs> well, tell us how you really feel, Don. <laughs> uh, listen, I just watch the video if you don't believe us because we watched it right before we got on this call. So... It's not just something we're hyping up in our heads. No. You can see it for yourself. The band is putting on a great show. Priest is not a person. Priest is a spirit, a feeling, an idea. 
And the idea is still perfectly encapsulated in this lineup. They understand what the band is about. They understand these songs and they carry forth the legacy as good as both K.K. Downing and Glenn Tipton ever could have. So I wholeheartedly reject this notion that somehow or another, the real priest isn't on stage. Blow me. On that note, if the listeners want to send you hate mail or me, just direct it towards us. You can find us at mailgodspodcast at gmail.com. That's right. Or hit us up on Twitter at metalgodspod. Yeah. And... Spare Georgia Rat, though. This is all me talking. (laughs) Hey, listen, we take hate mail, we take feedback, we take stories. If you have a cool Judas Priest story Mm. about seeing the band live, send it our way. Tell us your experiences and if you had an awesome time at these recent Priest shows like us. Either way, thanks for listening. (laughs) (laughs) There we go. One last thing that I think is important to mention before we go. As the band was walking off, the video monitor said 50 years, the priest will be back. Mm. So to those who think that this is a farewell run, well, it might not be. And as long as everyone's health keeps on the up and up, we'll be seeing Judas Priest tour again. Because 50 years and it's not over But Rob Halford reminded us multiple times during the set in between the songs to keep defending the heavy metal faith. And I hope, dear listeners, that Tom and I have been doing that for you. And one thing you can count on is that we're going to be here. We're going to be delivering our commentary. We're going to be going through every song in the discography We are incredibly grateful for the following that we've accrued over the almost one year that we've been doing this. And we've had the most incredible outpouring of support for people who, for some reason, want to hear us talk. (laughs) But (laughs) I don't get it either. (laughs) I don't understand. But either way, the point is, when the priest does return, we'll be there. And until then, we'll be here. Yeah, and until then, Mm. stay locked in. And keep defending the faith.